24 hours a day, seven days a week is 168 hours. If you've got a 48 hour a week day job, that's a quarter of your time. Yep. You've got a lot of time outside of those hours to do things. Yep. So to say you've got a day job and you've got no other time, you've got another 128 hours in the week to do yeah. things. That's a lot of sleep and a lot of Netflix. You've got to do more than that. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be with you today. I've got an awesome guest and an awesome show teed up for you. Uh, but in the meantime, real quick, one question, one quick uh, favor of you are you enjoying the podcast? Are you enjoying the content? Do you think there's value here? Is it something that you subscribe to? Is it something that you're enjoying and getting a lot out of? If so, please run over to iTunes, Spotify, whatever, wherever you're listening to this and give me a rating review. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do that. That is the best and most effective way to thank any podcaster for what they do, and I would really appreciate it. Okay, guys, on today's show, I've got somebody who's working a nine to five. They have a W-2 job. They love their job. This guy is really good at what he does. He enjoys doing it, but listen, he just said, I want more certainty in my finances. I want more control over how and when I retire and what kind of lifestyle I have. I wanna make sure that I have options when it comes to what I do and what I don't do and some freedom of time and some financial freedom. And so I'm gonna start doing real estate because it's something I enjoy, it's something I'm interested in, and it's gonna give me some freedom and flexibility in my life, and I love that. He doesn't have any plans on quitting his job, which is totally great. It's awesome, right? Most people are like, I want to quit my job. I hate it. He likes his job. And he's a graduate of Oklahoma State University with a degree in fire protection and safety engineering. He started acquiring real estate in 2015 and has grown his portfolio with multifamily property. So he's a multifamily guy. Uh, he's the managing partner of uh, Ayers Acquisitions. And he also hosts a podcast called The Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom. Guys, Get ready for a good one. This is really good. Like, how do you get started? Where do you find money? Where do you find properties? How do you finance them? We get into all of that stuff, and it's a lot of fun. Guys, please help me welcome to the show, Jacob Ayers. All right, Jacob. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. appreciate your time, and uh, I know you're a busy guy, so let's, let's dive into it. I'm excited. Mike, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. All right, man. Cool. Good. So let's, you know, people heard a little bit about you in the in the intro there, but let's get a little bit more specific and personal. Let's dial back a little bit. Talk about your where you got started and, and it's not just real estate, but what were you doing before real estate, if anything? And then how did you get into real estate? Because you're a younger guy, I can tell. So I don't know. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I started when I was 17. So you can't go back too much farther. But let me know what you were doing, if anything, before real estate. And then how did you get into this world? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Jacob Ayers. I'm 30 years old, just a regular old guy. Um, to answer your question, what was I doing before real estate investing? I was an engineer. So Mike, like so many of your audience members, I was kind of born and raised with this blueprint. And that was go to school, get good grades so you can get yeah. into college, study something hard so you can get a good, <laughs> stable day job. Yep. I did all those things. I found myself working in the corporate America as an engineer where I still work to this day, actually. And that was the end of my roadmap. I had no other like milestones or check marks to, to check off, you know, and I was looking out at my future thinking like, 
okay, well, uh, I guess there's a uh, retirement in 40 <laughs> years down the line if I'm lucky. And I was like, well, I got to do something else, right? So yeah, yeah. at the time I was real interested in uh, kind of figuring out what to do with this new big boy money I found myself with. And by that, I mean like two paychecks, which was more money than I'd had in my entire life combined. Yeah. I'm not talking about a lot of money here, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I started kind of down, down this rabbit hole of personal finance and I just found myself naturally drawn to real estate investing. And uh, from there, I kind of stumbled across my passion and have been investing for the past oh, about five years now and having a lot of fun with it. So how did you find real estate exactly? Where did, where did, you, where did it come up for you? Did, were you like searching for something? thing or some friend doing it? You know, I think, I don't know, maybe I'll try to psychoanalyze myself here and kind of growing up, I grew up, you know, lower income, maybe middle-class seen on a good year. My parents were entrepreneurs. So, you know, times were sometimes tough growing up and I could just always, I was just like liked houses and I would, you know, go buy the nice houses in town and think, wow, it was like, it just always seemed like a far-fetched idea to have a nice home to me when I was growing up. Not that, you know, we didn't necessarily have a nice home, but, you know, I just was always drawn drawn to those kinds of things. So when I had some money, I was kind of interested in real estate and I never saw myself as like a stocks kind of guy because I just never got it. And I didn't grow up in that world and it just seemed like that was out of my league, right? But real estate, I could understand to some extent. So I think I just could kind of physically understand it. I've got that engineering mind. So, you know, something tangible that I can go out and touch, feel, fix up, pain if I want. So that's maybe probably what I was drawn to most about real estate investing. Yeah, it's funny. It sounds like our backgrounds are similar. We were probably middle class. My parents, my dad worked in the automotive industry. My mom cut hair. I can see your parents were entrepreneurs. My notes say your dad owned bars and restaurants and uh, your mom did some sewing and embroidery. embroidery. Yeah. Um, but my parents, like total blue collar, kind of the same as you, like go get a job. You know, for me, at least being from Michigan, it was a lot about like go into a company that has a union, you know, because that's safe and you're protected and all that. So I, I kind of had that same thing too. Um, and and I just, I, I kind of got into that world and same deal. It's like, okay, well now what? I just sit around for 30 or 40 years and just kind of collect a check and hope I can retire and have a few years left before I die. So I didn't like, you know, this is a question I'm going to ask you. It's becoming a, a reoccurring theme on my show. I, I've been asking folks that I'm interviewing their opinion because I'm interested. What do you think that entrepreneurs are born entrepreneurs or do you think people become an entrepreneur? W- which do you think it is? Hmm. I think people become entrepreneurs. And I say that from a personal experience in the sense that, you know, right now I have a W-2 day job, which is not very entrepreneurial, right? But over time, I found myself becoming more entrepreneurial, trying to, you know, build up real estate and build a portfolio and strive to, you know, be that full-time entrepreneur. Yeah, I think that I just don't look at like a, an infant or a small child as a you know <laughs> natural born entrepreneur, right? I think over yeah. time people become that. I get people on the show and, and I, I totally believe them because I know people like this, but they'll say, from the time I can remember, I was selling things. I was going to get baseball cards and selling them to my friends for a profit. I was mowing lawns. Like There are some people I think who kind of have it in them and they kind of know it from the beginning. And I think honestly, some environments um, encourage it, right? Mine didn't. Yeah. I wasn't encouraged <laughs> to be an entrepreneur. So I'm with you. I... Here's so I'll tell you my opinion. It's kind of a trick question because I said, are they born or are they made? Right? I think sometimes people are born entrepreneurs, but they're not put in the right environment. They're not given the right stimulus for it to come out because I didn't know I was an entrepreneur until I sort of got put in an environment in a situation in my life where it's like pressure creates diamonds. I, I got put under enough pressure that I went that route, and once I did, I was like, 
boy, this feels natural. But it never, you know, it's sort of like a piano prodigy who's never been shown a piano. And then they sit down and they go, boom, they start playing. And it's like, whoa, this is feels natural and easy. I feel like that's what happened to me a little bit. Like I was a born entrepreneur, but it was dormant. You know what I mean? Like it was a sleeper cell entrepreneur or something like I didn't know until I got put in that environment. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there. And like, you know, take my scenario, for example, both of my parents were were entrepreneurs. Why wasn't I born an entrepreneur? I mean, I had those tendencies, you know, yard mowing business, you know, summer jobs, winter jobs, all those kinds of things, always kind of side hustling growing up. But I think my parents instilled in me that go to school, get a good stable job mentality because they didn't have that right. So I think it's that environment that kind of drives that outcome. It's funny. Yeah. They might've seen how they struggled or how hard it was and how many hours they worked and didn't want you to do that. My parents just, I, it just wasn't ever a conversation. Like there was nobody in my family that was an entrepreneur. So it just was like, not even on the menu. You know what I mean? Like you go to McDonald's and you're looking for, you know, filet mignon. It's just not on the menu. We just didn't know about it. So, um, all right, cool. So I love the fact that you're working a nine to five, you got a W-2 job and and you're doing this real estate thing. Number one, it sort of crushes one of the number one excuses I hear from folks who want to get involved in real estate. They go, oh, I got a full-time job. I don't have any time, right? But, but those folks, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but those folks seem to have time to watch like Breaking Bad or whatever they're binge watching on Netflix or exactly. they're, on, they're on a bowling league or a softball team. It's like, you've got time, you know, but it's just, what do you do with your time? So tell us a little bit about two things. I'm, I'm curious uh, why or, okay, let me start over. Is your plan to stick with the nine to five, the W2, keep it indefinitely? Do you have any plans of quitting? And if not, why not? Why do you want to do both? Yeah. So there are, I started this thing like one day I'm going to retire and I'm going to grow this billion dollar portfolio. And that's still the goal is to, you know, grow and scale this thing very quickly. Yep. But I'm not one of those guys who just is absolutely miserable at work and hates yeah. my day job. Right. I got into this because I like it. I've got that engineering mind and I really yeah. like what I do. But at the same time, I want more control over my financial future. And I'm also very interested in real estate investing. So if someday there will be a crossroads where one becomes less valuable than the other, I probably have got a pretty good idea of what that is and some targets. <laughs> of when I would like that to happen. But for now, I'm content. And over time, and actually pretty recently, I've realized that this W-2 day job is actually a pretty strong and good asset in the sense that it helps me qualify for loans. It's the cash cow right now. It's allowing me to go out and take those risks and, and invest in real estate. So it's kind of the driving vehicle. And I think so many people out there, Mike, to your point, use a day job as an excuse. I just punched in my calculator here, 24 hours a day, seven days a week is 168 hours. If you've got a 48 hour a week day job, that's a quarter of your time. You've got a lot of time outside of those hours to do things. So to say you've got a day job and you've got no other time, you've got another 128 hours in the week to do things. That's a lot of sleep and a lot of Netflix. You've got to do more than that. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and I've heard every excuse too. I, you know, we all have things that come up. We all have challenges. I had, uh, at the time when I started, I had uh, three kids. Uh, I was married. I have, I have a mortgage. I had a job that was 40 hours plus. It was probably closer to 50 to 60 hours. And I, I managed to do it. And I did it on the side like you're doing for a number of years before I kind of made that switch. And one seemed like it was getting in the way of the other. I've got a friend of mine, Bill, who was a, a Navy pilot or is a Navy pilot in the reserves, but uh, he was full-time active du- or full-time, you know, a Navy pilot. And so he was flying for several hours a day. 
he was married. He just had a, a child that was born with some special needs and needed a bunch of surgeries. And like, I mean, life in total chaos, in addition to having a full-time job where like a lot, I worked a full-time job, but I'll be honest, I was on the phone way more than I should have been doing real estate stuff while I was on the job. Right. And I don't advocate that. It was, it was not a great idea to do that. But the fact of the matter I did, and a lot of people do, he's in the air, like he's flying a plane. He can't do that. Right. So <laughs> like, there's a lot of excuses and, but you know, we all have time. If we look at our schedule and look at what we're spending time on, I guarantee we're wasting a lot of time, but I'll be honest for me, I was, uh, you know, I live in Michigan, so it gets dark early in the winter. And there were years where I'm at six o'clock at night, I get off work, I've got a flashlight and I'm going into houses that are, um, you know, empty, no, no electricity, no heat. It's freezing. I'm walking through basements that are pitch dark with this little flat. Like it's, it kind <laughs> of is hard. Right. But like, that's what I did instead of go home and grab a bag of chips and sit on the couch, proverbially, uh, proverbially. Right. So I get it, man. We all have reasons, but I love it. Again, just going back to you for a minute. I love that you're doing this. You've got a W2. You like your job. You're not like, oh, I hate it. I got to get out of this. Like, like, like some people are driven by like hardship or pain, mm -hmm. right? You don't sound like you're in a lot of pain. That's not why you did it. You did it because you like real estate. You also love your job. So it doesn't have to be this like all or nothing, burn the boats. There is an option where you do both and you're happy doing both. And then you just sort of, you have the option to do one or the other if it, if it becomes necessary down the road, but you just like them both. I like what you said there. And you come from a place of, you know, maybe you're not coming from a place of hardship. You're in a comfortable position, right? But sometimes that comfortable position is just as dangerous or just as uncomfortable that you don't realize yeah. as that place of pain, right? Being comfortable is a very easy place to be in, but you're not going to grow being in that comfortable place. And that's where I think a lot of people find themselves. Yep, I agree. And so how long have you been investing? Like when did you say you became a real estate investor and that part of your life started? How long ago? I bought my very first rental property. And I believe it was July of 2015. Okay, July 2015. So, okay, cool. About five years. All right. So let's talk about those early years because everyone loves hearing about the huge success story and, and the 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 happy, you know, end of that story or like, you know, you're all successful. But let's talk about when you were starting out. A couple things. How did you find your first deal? What kind of a deal was it? Was it a buy and hold, fix and flip, whatever? Like what kind of deal? How did you find it? And if you had to fund it, how did you fund it? Those are the yeah, big three. Cool. Yeah, this is a fun story. So um, the deal was a single family home in my home market of Oklahoma. I now live in Houston, Texas, where I came down after college to uh, work and live. And that's where I've lived since. So I invested in my home state, which is at the time, I knew that market a little better than here in Houston. Sure. Uh, the price point and point of entry was a big factor in why I invested back home. Um, this was a $25,000 single family house. So that's a little eye-catching in itself. There's people across the country thinking that... <laughs> Didn't even realize that that price yeah. point existed. They right? went by but a garage a in some places. <laughs> but I'm with you. I'm in Michigan. I did the same thing back then. It was the same price. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a $25,000 single family, one bedroom, one bathroom home that I was able to rent for $475 a month. I took out traditional financing, which at the time I was so naive. I didn't even realize that was supposed to be a hurdle in itself. So I went out and got a conventional 20% down loan. So that was $5,000 down, some closing costs, let's call yeah. it seven or $8,000 all in. Here I am, bona fide real estate investor. I love it. And that's where the party starts. <laughs> All right. So that's cool. Because here's here's something that's important. It's, it's actually really, really interesting because sometimes the unfair, well, it's probably somewhat earned, but 
I'm talking to an engineer, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side on the side of engineers here and say it's unfair. Sometimes I use the engineering profession as a, as a metaphor or an example of the folks that sometimes get in their own way because you are smart, you are analytical, you do like data, you like to see proof of things, right? Like that's engineering. So sometimes getting started in real estate, the hurdle is you you need to know too much. And, and sometimes not knowing how hard something should be is the best thing for you because you know, you just, you go and do it. You just try to do it. You don't put up a lot of obstacles in front of yourself. And I always, again, I use your, your profession a lot to say engineers are sometimes the hardest people to get started because they need too much like data and proof before they can just dive in. You just dove in, you were naive. You didn't know what you didn't know. So you did it and you got the financing. It's like, what? Cause when you said you got financing for 25,000, my first thought was in my market and a lot of markets, you can't get financing for under $50,000. They just won't do it. Right. Right. So right. Um, that's really, really interesting. Interesting that you, I used traditional financing too, my first deal, because I didn't know what else to do either. It was more expensive than 25000 but still, I didn't know what else I was supposed to do, right? So that's exactly what I did. It was a, it was a one bedroom house. You said one bathroom, $400. Yeah. So you rented it. Do you still own that property? I actually, that's the only property I've ever sold because I, you know, just kind of wanted to get into the multifamily space. So that was yeah. the one and only single family I ever bought. It was an experiment. I did a lot of fun things and cool <laughs> things with it. Made a ton of mistakes. Yeah. Luckily, didn't lose my shirt too bad on it and uh, sold it and moved on just recently as well. So yeah, I'm, I uh, really cut my teeth on that property. It wasn't the most impactful deal. You know, those aren't large numbers. So it's not yeah. like I retired off buying that $25,000 right, right, right. house, right? But it, taught me so many lessons. And most importantly, it just got me started and got that ball rolling. So did you do any renovations to it at all? And if so, where did you get the funds for that? They were all minor cosmetic, you know, interior paint, hardware, finishing. Okay. And I put in a lot of sweat equity with the help of my dad. So really there was like negligible cost there. You know, yeah. let's call it probably less than a thousand or $2,000 in material yeah. cost and a bunch of sweat equity. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And that's the only single family. Now, out of curiosity, it sounds like I think you said the plan was always to go multifamily. So is that why you only did one um, single family? You just because you want to get your feet wet and figure things out? Or did you figure out after that that you wanted to go multifamily? I figured out after that. And, you know, up to this point, I was listening to podcasts, reading books, doing all the things people are out there doing. And I decided, hey, I'm going to take this idea. I'm going to put it into practice. I bought this single family house. As soon as I got that first rent check, I can remember that was like my aha moment. That's when the light bulb went off. And I was like, okay, this thing is real. This thing works so far so good. I'm going to try to do this thing again. But next time I want to do it a little bigger. So I'm going to go mm -hmm. duplex next time. And from there, I've just never looked back from multifamily. How did you, when did you stop using traditional or, or like bank or mortgage company financing? When did, did or, or are you still using that? Like, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like, how did you finance the second one? And then at what point did you transition to a different kind of financing? Yeah. So uh, I've typically used pretty well traditional financing routes, uh, either using, you know, conventional Fannie Freddie loans or local lenders with portfolio loans. So for the most part, I've used pretty traditional financing. I haven't any used any kind of hard money, private money, anything like that, and starting okay. to raise money for larger deals now. So, uh, you know, bringing on equity from partners. Uh, so the second deal was a duplex. And um, this was, uh, if you want to get into the numbers, we sure, can. Yeah, I'd love to, of course. Yeah. This was a $55,000 duplex, completely vacant at the time I bought it, but it was in rent-ready shape. Uh, three sisters had inherited it, so I decided to buy it. 
each side of the unit, each unit was going to rent for ballpark 600 in my estimate upon, you know, uh, doing my due diligence. So I knew from the get go was about a 2% rent to value ratio. Green light sounded like a good deal. So I went out and once again, I was saving up these down payments just from my earned income. So it took a little time, you know, I put down $7,500 on that first deal, cut my teeth on it. About a year later, I saved up, you know, another little chunk of change. So I put down 11,000 and some change on that deal, I think. And closing costs and all that. So I was in yeah. all fourteen, fifteen thousand. And uh yeah, that was going well as is uh still own it today. Nice, nice. Okay, so you did a duplex. Um, it was rent ready, so it doesn't sound like there was a lot of renovation there. And, and I'm not, I don't want to go necessarily deal by deal, but I'm curious where you started making bigger jumps. So, what 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 did the next few deals look like? Did you kind of still go small multifamily? And and let's just real quick, let's just kind of flip to one of the later chapters for a minute. What's the biggest deal you've done so far? Like number of doors. Yeah, right now I'm working on a 48 unit deal. I just uh, was in the final run on a 16 unit deal, just closed on an eight unit deal. So kind of in that smaller multifamily space, you could say. Okay. Still though, considered like it's, you can't, it's, you have to, it's still a different valuation than like a duplex or a a triplex or quad, right? Exactly. Once you get past Mm -hmm. that, it becomes a different world. So you mentioned uh, well, let's do this too. I, I kind of want to skip ahead a little bit. I'm a little bit all over the board because I want to. I want to kind of bookend uh, my thought process on how I want to like talk to you about these. Sure. How many deals have you done to this point since 2015? Since that first single family house, like, are we talking a dozen, two dozen, six? Yeah, like half a dozen ish. You know, these half a dozen ish. Okay, the volume, no, no, that's the cool. volume's not very much there, right? Because you're doing. You know, totally. one deal with multiple doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm really interested. Uh, I'm very interested in how you learned to a couple of things. How did you learn uh, three things? To find a little bit larger multifamilies. How did you learn to to value them? And how did you learn to raise money? Like, I'm curious how those things lined up because those are, again, some of the hurdles. Where do I find multifamily? Um, how do I how do I know to how to evaluate it? How do I know how much to pay? Right? Like, how do you do? And because you're an engineer, there's no doubt in my mind there's spreadsheets involved here. But kind of give me that <laughs> give me that ten thousand foot view on how we do this. Sure. Yeah. So you know, you take one of those things like, hey, I'm going to buy a 48 unit deal, and it's like sounds daunting, right? But for me, I've got a pretty good way of just breaking things down step by step, tackling things one day at a time, one little most important next step at a time, amends yeah. I like to call it. Um, so let's take um, how do I find deals. It's funny with that duplex deal. I'd done all this research and direct to seller campaigns, direct mail, you yeah. know, email marketing, all these kinds of things. And how that deal came to me is I like to tell this story. My 80 year old grandpa is telling his metal detecting buddy that his grandson had just bought a duplex over here, whatever it is, or just bought that single family house. Yeah. Well, word of mouth, his buddy knows a buddy who knows a friend who just inherited this duplex. So he tells me about it. This guy doesn't own a cell phone. <laughs> never been on the computer, you know, and here yeah. I am, you know, trying to work all these magic techniques I've been listening to and it comes to me word of mouth. So it's just kind of a That's funny, great. like, you know, you never know how you're going to get a deal. But to answer your question, um, I kind of really drilled down on, <clears throat> on a specific market, excuse me. <clears throat> and I really focused and narrowed in on this market. So I learned everything there was to know about the properties in this market. And I really kind of had a lot of luck going direct to seller, off-market deals specifically. Okay. So 
the word of mouth thing is awesome because here's the deal. I, I, I have made every mistake that you can dream of in the single family space. I don't do multifamily. However, uh, direct mail, direct to seller, all those things I have dumped, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years into all those things. And they've made me millions of dollars, right? So it's not all mistakes. But what I've seen people do, and I've been guilty of this in the past, is just throwing tons of money at marketing that's not returning like it should because you think it should. So what's always powerful for me is people who find deals by word of mouth or by networking or by relationships. And the one thing that's overlooked by most investors, and I did this very, very well when I started kind of by accident, and I think people ignore it because they're looking for the easy button, is just tell everybody you know what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what your plans are, what your goals are, because you just never know what will come up like your 80-year-old grandpa. Like being in that (laughs) 60 to 80-year-old network is powerful because there's a lot of folks who own a lot of stuff. They have a lot of equity. And sometimes they have different goals than than maybe younger people. It's not always about getting every last dollar out of it. Sometimes, listen, for example, sometimes older folks who own real estate do not want a lump sum right away. It's not good for them because they're on fixed income or they're getting some other government assistance. And if they do that, it's going to ruin things, right? So a lot of times they'll they'll sell or finance things and, and they'll take payments. So it's not like this big ton of money because as much as that may sound awesome to me or to you at our age, that's not awesome sometimes when you have yeah. other things going on. So being in that demographic is great. I know a friend of mine, uh, and this is like the ultimate like argument killer. He's in San Diego, one of the most crazy competitive markets in the in the entire country, probably in the world. And he did 80 deals last year without spending a dime on marketing, all networking, all word of mouth, all relationships. So it's like it takes away everyone's excuse of, well, there's no deals in my market. It's really competitive. Listen, man, it, Houston's competitive. First of all, I know that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about the Oklahoma market, but I know Houston's very competitive. So that word of mouth thing, that telling everyone you know and creating relationships, that's gold. Like that'll make you millions. It's just amazing. And people for, forget about it because it takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of, you know, like purposeful action. You can't just like create a card, blast it out, and wait for the phone to ring. It's a little bit more work than that, but it's very powerful, man. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's really, really important for people to hear. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about some of these deals, the, you know, the last three or four that you did. Um, you you, you kind of told me a little bit how you found them. You did say word of mouth, but then you said that direct to consumer and stuff or direct to seller has been good for you. Mm-hmm. What types of, other than word of mouth and, and relationships, what other kind of uh, marketing channels are working for you? So two things. Uh, I really like uh, connecting on local Facebook pages, whether those are just Facebook kind of garage sale pages and local markets I invest in. Sounds a little kind of hokey, but it actually works really well. So say your uh, market is, let's just call it Yukon, Oklahoma. You can go on Facebook and you can go to Yukon garage sale page on Facebook or Yukon buy, sell, trade here. There's a lot of gold in those pages. You have to go through, you know, you got to look through bicycle postings and, you know, kinds of all kinds of used yard equipment and stuff. But every now and then you get somebody with a for rent or for sale, uh, you know, posting on there. Yeah. Call those people. And those are the people that are not advertising it on the MLS. It's not on Zillow and things like that. So sometimes there's some gold nuggets in there. You got to, you know, just kind of keep your eyes peeled for those things. Yeah. And then the other thing is targeted direct mail. So I've done a couple direct mail campaigns where they're a little bit more mass and I had less luck with those, but 
niching down in those markets like I talked about, hey, there's that property over on 8th and Main Street that I really like. I'm going to send one piece of mail to that owner and maybe follow up in two or three weeks or reach out on Facebook or give them a call or whatever. So I've had some luck doing that as well. Nice. I love that. I love that. So when it comes to, okay, so you find a, you know, 12 unit place, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the like high level 80, 20 kind of like quick check filters that you do to decide whether or not you want to dive deeper into a a property? And again, I'm a little bit making some assumptions here, but I'm assuming you have some sort of a sort method that keeps you from wasting a lot of time. So what do you look for like right off the bat? Yeah, sure. So I'm looking at, you know, what kind of property type is it? How old is it? Just kind of the overall property. Is it a 2005 build class A property? Or is it a 1960s build class C plus property? So I've kind of got some general price per door numbers that I expect in my markets at those points. So if somebody's asking $80,000 a door for a class C property in my market, well, they're not doing that because that's way overpriced. But yeah. you know, now if they're like 40 or 30, now I know they're kind of in that ballpark. So I'll just give that a quick look. And then I start looking at rent to value ratios. That's metric doesn't work as well in commercial properties because you know you're looking for a value add play at this point. And that's another thing I'm always looking at is you know, what are the value add opportunities in this in this property? Can I go in and fix it up a little bit, or is it in prime condition, or is it totally dilapidated and it's going to be way too much work to bring it up to speed. So those are kind of some things I'm looking at. Okay. Do you, do you invest in all like a class A, class B, class C, class D, class E? Like, do you, do you do anything and everything as long as the numbers make sense or do you try to stay away from any of them? No, I try to niche down. So, um, I've kind of tend to be in that C plus B minus category. Um, nice workforce housing, definitely yeah. no slumlord stuff, but not at the same time, no class A stuff. Yeah. Um, I think, the newest property I have is a 1997 build. So, you know, okay. it's a very nice property, yep. but it's still 20 years old. Yeah, I think honestly, like kind of a blanket statement, but I really do think that class C plus, B minus, C to B, somewhere in that range, whether you're talking multifamily, single family, it just feels to me like over the years, what I've done, what I've talked to the people, that feels like the sweet spot. Like it just does, right? I know people that make their money and they kind of build their business off class A. I get that. They're, I'm not saying it can't be done. But it just seems like when people come to me and say, like, I'm going to start doing direct mail or I'm going to start marketing, what should I target? I, I always tell them, if I'm you, I'm going to put most of my marketing efforts in the B2C range. Like that's where I'm going to dump my effort and my money. And, and I'll spend maybe... 15, 10 to 15% of my money will go in class A and maybe 10 to 15% of my money will go in class D, but I'm pretty much going to put about, you know, 70 to 80% of it in that class C and B, because I think that's just where the volume is. And I think that's where the the good price, uh, per, you know, price per uh, door or however you want to look at it, that seems to be where the value is to me. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you think about it, you know, our nation has a housing crisis right now, right? A shortage, a supply shortage, yeah, right? Yeah. But where there's a supply shortage is in that affordable housing. And I feel yeah. that I can give back to a community when I'm buying, you know, that that blue collar workforce housing that I can go in and make it nice and make it, you know, you know, to where somebody enjoys living there. Yeah. I feel like that's a, a service that I can provide to a community. Yep. And a lot of times in those kind of markets too, the house that you buy is the eyesore of the neighborhood. It's the house that people (laughs) drive by and they just shake their head and go, can't someone do something here, right? So you were coming in and doing that, which is interesting because it seems like local government, 
And banks really make it hard for us sometimes to do what we're doing, right? It's like there are a few bad ones for sure. But like in general, all we're doing is raising property values and making neighborhoods look nicer. But it seems like we have to jump through some crazy hoops. So <laughs> let, let's talk about, um, is there anything else, by the way, that you look at that at more of a granular level when you're evaluating a property that you can share with us? Or is it just start kind of getting into crunching numbers? Like, is there any any other like special sauce that you have that lets you know that something is good or not? Hmm. Like a cap rate or something? Is there something that you just focus sure. in on? Yeah, sure. So in my market, you know, things are trading at, you know, at a class C kind of C plus B minus asset, you're looking at maybe a seven to 9% cap rate right now, which is a little higher than some markets, but I'm investing in kind of, uh, you know, tier two, tier three markets and Oklahoma city and, and somewhere sometimes around Amarillo as well. So, uh, you know, those kind of, uh, tertiary markets, if you will. Um, so yeah, there, that's the metric I look at sometimes. Okay. Do you look at, um, do you look at, uh, school ratings and crime rates? Do those things factor in? Yeah. You know, so I've invested really in two markets now. So once I got the market down, you know, I, I don't have to reinvent sure. the wheel every time, right? I don't sure. have to go and look at the school, you know, I know yeah. what the school is like. So, but yep. those are definitely driving factors. So starting at a high level, if you're trying to find a new market, I, I recommend you look at a few things. You know, you, you want to look at jobs and population, Jobs are going to bring people in. The people are going to be able to pay the rent because the jobs are there, right? So if yep. you've got an in, an increase in population over time and a growing job force, those are two pretty key recipes for a, a strong market. Yeah, I agreed. And I think thanks for sharing that because I think that's helpful for folks. And you mentioned you're living in Houston, but you're also uh, investing in Oklahoma. What are some of the things that challenges that you've had to overcome, if any, of, of doing something remotely, like investing remotely like this? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, not seeing your property all the time. I've, uh, you know, made some mistakes and let properties go a little too long without laying eyes on them. And, you know, you always find things that are probably, uh, not like you would like them to be when you haven't laid eyes on your property in six months or something. So I've definitely made that mistake early on. Uh, some hurdles are just, you know, uh, the, the kind of human interaction you need sometimes with, you know, showing properties, leasing, doing those kinds of things. But yep. in today's day and age, especially in this social distance era, people are getting more used to doing business online or remotely. So I find that yeah. that's actually becoming a little easier. Yeah, totally. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So let's talk about real quick here. I, I don't want to take up your whole day, but what are your plans for the future? What are the goals? You mentioned earlier, like, you know, tons of money, billion dollars, whatever. But like, what are your like, in the near future, like three to five years, like what are you trying to do? What is this going to grow into ideally? Yeah, sure. I got into real estate initially because there was no ceiling, right? As at a day job, you know, you, there's there's a ceiling to your success and there's only so much success and financial success you can have. Yeah. And real estate investing, the sky's the limit. You know, you can go out and knock down a hundred or a thousand doors every year if you want, right? Nobody's stopping you. Nobody's, you know, hovering over you saying, oh, you didn't achieve this KPI or whatever yeah. it is, right? Yep. So uh, that's what I really like about real estate investing. So for me, I see myself in three to five years, really growing and scaling this to a significant size, achieving financial freedom, building wealth along the way, and living life on my own terms. And that's what really draws me to this real estate investing thing. I love it. I I love it. I love that 
the uh, the goal of freedom, I think, is so universal. Like it's different for everybody. Some people say I want more time. Some people say I want more money. But I think ultimately it comes down the freedom to not have to worry about money or to spend your time in a way that you don't want to spend it. So that is like I think that's just the ultimate dream. Do you have advice for anybody out there who's working a full time job? and concerned about how they can make it all happen. Like, let me ask, I'll get personal for a second. Are you married? Do you have kids? Like, what are you dealing with in your personal life? Yeah, sure. So I'm engaged, no kids. So, you know, I've got the luxury of having a good amount of uh, discretionary time throughout the week and weekends to, you know, do the side hustle stuff. Okay, good. And like I said, you know, I, I know people from you know, kids basically living at home in their parents' basement, which is like zero responsibility and zero, you know, you take yeah. tons of risk. And I know people that are in their, you know, 60s who are starting this, who are like fixed income and all that, like in everything in between. So don't let anything like stop you. Like don't, don't let things like your job or, you know, obviously you want your husband or wife to be on board. It could be tough if they're not. I assume your fiance is like, let's go let's go do this multifamily thing. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, get her on board because that's that's a tough <laughs> way to go. Uh, I've been lucky. My wife's always been on board. But um, yeah, I, I think that people use too many excuses to not get started. And there just really is no great excuse. You should you should definitely try it because the one thing you don't want when you get older, and I know you're, I'm telling you something I'm sure you already know, is you don't want regret. Like regret is the scariest thing to me. Like getting to a point in my life where I'm beyond the ability to do something and then regretting I didn't try. So don't live with that regret. Um, I want to talk for a second. You started a, uh, a podcast, The Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom. Why did you start the podcast? I know the work involved with this. You've been doing it for a while. You know the work involved with it. Um, why did you, why did you start that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was uh, at one point the only person in my peer group and friends and family investing in real estate, and I had all the common questions you might expect when you're the only person doing that. Like, hey, what about this? Or why are you doing that? Or aren't you worried about this? Or you're taking on a bunch of debt? Doesn't that concern you? So I was, you know, kind of having these repeated conversations with friends and family. So I decided, hey. I like real estate investing. I like talking about real estate investing. I'm answering a lot of these questions repeatedly. I think I'm going to start a podcast. And actually, something I forgot to mention early in the show is that's almost what how I got started investing in real estate. I was sitting in my cubicle one day thinking to myself, like, hey, what's next, right? And I came across this thing called a podcast. Never had heard of it. So about 18 months later, I bought my own property and decided to start a podcast. And I don't come to it from like some guru perspective. I didn't go into it expecting to make a bunch of money or sell a course or, you know, anything like that. I just, it's a passion project. I have a lot of fun doing it. I get to talk with great people like you, Mike. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, 350 some odd episodes later, it's still going. How many do you do a week? Two. Okay, two a week. That's awesome. That's a that's a pretty good pace too. So just out of curiosity, because I'm always curious about this stuff. Which podcast did you start listening to? What was the first one you remember listening to? Yeah, as much as I love your podcast, Mike, <laughs> no, I'm not fishing. I'm really not. The plug. No, no, no. It's a it's a podcast called Get Rich Education. The host is named Keith Weinhold. Um, I just absolutely loved the content that he was putting out, and I think it's one of those things. It was like when the students are ready, the teacher will appear. Right? Yeah. It's just the right time, right place thing for me. And so I remember hitting episode one, and it was just like. 
my whole world was rocked and opened <laughs> up to this, you know, wormhole that awesome. I didn't knew existed. That's awesome. That's a great endorsement. So it's called Get Rich Education Podcast? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, guys, go check that out. Just a free plug. I don't know these guys. I have no clue. I assume I'm going to take your advice or your opinion that they're really, really good. Go check it out. And also go check out The Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom. Uh, check out uh, Jacob's podcast. By the way, guys, he might not ask you because he's a super nice guy, but give it a rating review. Subscribe and give it a rating and review. That is absolute currency for podcasters. So if you want to do something nice for them and don't want to like literally give them money, then give them a, a rating review and subscribe because that is uh, it's very similar in the podcasting world. Dude, this has been awesome. You're a very cool guy. I just I love talking to folks like you too. That's exactly uh, one of the reasons why I started my podcast because I just want to expose my listeners to folks like it's it's awesome to like uh, I haven't done it, but to like interview like Robert Kiyosaki or Grant Cardone, like that's awesome, yeah, right? These yeah. are great guys. They're encouraging and they're inspirational. But then I also want to talk to people like yourself who've not been in this for 30 years and built the $3 billion portfolio. Somebody who people listening, and by the way, the vast majority of people listening can go, I- I'm that, like that, that's who I am. Like, hey, I'm engaged and and my fiance is like encouraging me and I want to do multifamily, but like, I don't know if I can. Like this, this is exactly why I do this because you're going to inspire people to get out there and get started, right? Which is why I call it like, just start. You got to get started, guys. And, and take it from me, take it from Jacob. This is doable. And like, you got your first rent check and you're like, okay, this is real. Like, I believe yeah. this now, right? Yeah. You, would, you might not have believed it if you didn't go out there and do that first deal, even though you're not a single family investor now. That was like that little tiny one bedroom, one bathroom that gave you to spit out that that rent check. Like, that's it, man. That's the proof of concept. And, and look what you've done since then. Yeah, Mike, thanks so much for what you're doing with the podcast, Just Start Real Estate. First off, I love the name and I love the concept behind it, right? Just go out there and get started. You and I both know, Mike, if we can do this, really, literally anybody out there can 100%. do it. I'm never the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I'm never, you know, the the sharpest tool in the box. But if I can do it, anybody can you do it. You might be the smartest guy in the room right now because I can tell you engineering <laughs> was not in my future when I was in well, school. I'm sitting in a room by myself and I probably barely make that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for being here, guys. Go check out the podcast. Jacob's awesome guy, very smart guy. And uh, certainly, if you're interested in multifamily, then he's he's a guy you should be listening to. But go check it out either way. And uh, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Mike, thanks so much for having me on. It's been fun. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. All right. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking to Jacob. Smart guy. I love that he's working the nine to five and doing real estate. And it's uh, it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody who actually loves their job and uh, just wants to be a real estate investor. He likes that whole world, wants to get involved, wants to take control of his life and doesn't necessarily have this big desire to quit his job, which is absolutely cool. Totally fine, right? Everyone thinks we have to like hate our job and I want to be a full-time real estate that's great too, if that's what you want to do. But he's a good example of someone who got into a career, got into an industry. He likes it, likes his job. He just wants more like security and more certainty of his future and his finances. And that's so cool. So go check out his podcast. Like I said, he's a smart guy, I'm telling you. And it's really good to get the perspective of someone who is working full-time and making this happen. So I uh, loved it. Hope you guys loved it. But we kind of touched on it at the end. Guys, you got to get started. You got to get out there and go for it. Don't let your job hold you back. Don't let the fact that you have kids, a husband, a wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, like all the responsibilities of life, we all have those, but you only have one life. Get out there and live it. Do it on your terms. Don't have regrets someday. Go get after it. Go make today the best day. Go get started. You got my permission. Now go for it. See you next time.
okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number five five four 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 so text just start to five five four 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 i will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and i really really appreciate it guys so i want to do something nice for you i do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while i do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy i hope you read it i hope you love it reach out let me know what you think all right guys talk to you next time